0: and that it impacts you personally. Thanks for listening. As we get closer to Thanksgiving, food is on the mind. Turkey, ham, that's no reaction to either one of those. Mashed potatoes and gravy. There, now getting some, getting feels now. Green bean casserole. Not many green bean casserole. Sweet potato casserole. Yeah, marshmallows on top. Homemade rolls. Homemade noodles. Anybody do that? Woo woo. Yeah. We are getting to that season where. I'm getting in group family texts and Facebook things, and it's like, who's bringing what, and when are we meeting? And it's like, why in the world am I in these group chats, right? Like, and I don't contribute anything to these conversations about food other than eating the food, and I'll eat what's put on the plate kind of idea. But we're, we're in that season of thinking about food. Every grocery store you walk into is promoting Thanksgiving meals, you know. Like, you can buy a meal and a whole thing. You just throw it in the oven, boom, it's all there when it comes out, you know, no work to it. But the thing that I love about Thanksgiving and this time when we gather, yes, to be thankful, but really we gather because food's going to be there and food is what brings us together. And so we go to these family gatherings, these friends giving things, and it's always around food, right? Because food brings us together. The Bible is full of references to food, from the beginning of creation, it was full of fruit. When we think of Adam and Eve, we think of people who ate of a tree of a fruit that they weren't supposed to eat of. As we think about the story of scripture unfolding, you have this promised land that was, that was full of milk and honey. You have the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness and what does God provide for them? He provides quail and manna for them. If you see these different feasts that they have, one of the feasts with the booths is this food and drink and oils that would ga- they would gather together and eat together. You have the Passover meal that they would eat together. Even today as we observe the Lord's Supper, we know from the Gospels that they were sitting down to have a meal with Jesus together. And the end of the meal is when they took the bread and they took the cup and they did what what we similarly did today, right? That they took time and they observed what Jesus was about to do for them. We know from Revelation chapter 19 verses 6 through 8 that there's a feast that is coming of all feasts known as the wedding supper of the Lamb. When we will sit down with Jesus and celebrate that day of the final victory being won. And we'll have a meal with Jesus. In Jesus' day, God's people longed for what they referred to as the Messianic banquet. They knew and trusted that the Messiah would come. And when the Messiah would come... God's people would sit down at a table with him and feast. And they just didn't make this up. They got it from Isaiah chapter 25, verses 6 through 8, where it is prophesied that on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples, listen, a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of, morrow, of rich of aged wine well refined. And he will swallow up this mountain, the coverings that is cast over all the peoples, the veil that is spread over all the nations, and he will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. So when the children of Israel read Isaiah or had Isaiah 25, 6 through 8 read to them, they were longing for this messianic banquet where Jesus would set it up where their Messiah, they know it was Jesus at the time, but their Messiah would set it up and they would sit down and eat at this banquet. Our text today in Matthew chapter 15 verses 21 through 39 is a foretaste of what they were longing for, this messianic banquet. When we read these two stories side by side, the the story that we're going to read of a Canaanite woman's daughter being healed and Jesus feeding of the 4,000, these two stories side by side should cause us to say, and this was what Matthew was after, the Messiah has come and he is opening the table to all who will come to him through Jesus. So these two stories that we're looking at today are are a foretaste of what is to come in Revelations chapter 19 verses 6 through 8 where we will sit down at the marriage supper of the Lamb. To understand this before we jump into our text today, we need to do a little bit of a geography sort of lesson. So if you like the... Uh, maps in the back of your Bible. You're welcome to look back there, but I'll have one on the screen as well to give you context so that you understand what I'm saying. This is a foretaste of what is to come, this messianic banquet that will come. This is a foretaste of it today in Matthew 15, 21 through verse 39. So if you look a few weeks ago, we saw in Matthew 14, 34, that Jesus crossed over the Sea of Galilee and he came to Gennesaret, which is right here. This is where Jesus was doing his work. And you can see it's mainly in the Galilee region. The Galilee region was mainly a Jewish region of uh, that This part of the world. So he was mainly ministering to Jews, although we know from Matthew chapter 8, he healed some Gentiles, but he was mainly focusing on the Jews. Well, what we're going to find today is that Jesus moves from Gennesaret up to Tyre and Sidon up here. So you're going to see it in verse 21. And when Jesus went away from there, so he's going away from Gennesaret, he goes and withdraws to the district of Tyre and Sidon. So Jesus is up in this area now doing ministry. Now, what's interesting about this area is that this area is a Gentile area. It's a Gentile territory. So he's been working mainly in a Jewish territory. Now Jesus is moving up here to this area that is mainly Gentiles. Then he's going to move his way and make his way. You can sort of follow the line. He's going to come back to this area of the Decapolis. It was basically the idea that there were these 10 villages or 10 cities that were together. And again, here's what's interesting about this area of the Decapolis where Jesus is going to go and and feed the 4,000, is that this is the area, a a Gentile area as well, right? So we're moving, picture the geography of Jesus in Matthew chapter 15. We're moving from a mainly Jewish area to Tyre and Sidon, which is mainly Gentiles, down to this area of the Decapolis. You can go to Mark 7, he says that there. This is mainly a Gentile area as well. And so this gives us the context to as we're thinking about this banquet and who's invited to the banquet, this is going to help us give context to what's going on. So look with me at Matthew chapter 15. First, we'll walk through the first story in verses 21 through 28. So Jesus went away from there and he withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon, a Gentile area. And behold, a Canaanite woman. Now, Matthew could have just said a woman, but he says a Canaanite woman. Why would it be important that Matthew would point out that this is not just a woman, but this is a Canaanite woman? He's pointing it out because he wants us to understand who he is ministering to who he is taking the good news to. It's not just the Jewish people, but the Gentile people as well. And you have to remember that Canaan was an enemy of Israel. Canaan, if you go to the Old Testament, was an enemy of God. When they took over the land of Canaan, right, they conquered the Canaanites, the enemies of God. And so Matthew is making a very specific point to say to us that this is not just a woman that he's ministering to here. This is a Canaanite woman. This is a Gentile woman who is outside, quote unquote, the family of the children of Israel, the family of the Jewish people. So he comes to this and says, Behold, a Canaanite woman from the region, this Gentile area, comes out and was crying. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. She comes to Jesus and says, Have mercy on me. Here's what she understands when she says the term mercy. What she understands is she doesn't bring anything to the table. There's no merit that she brings to the table that should cause Jesus to catch her attention. She she understands that she's not a Jewish follower, that she is a Gentile. So she understands that she doesn't bring anything to the table, so she needs mercy. So she says, Lord, have mercy on me. And then she uses this term, Lord. Now this is not the Lord in the sense of Yahweh, she uses this term Lord three times. It's more Lord in the sense of respect. So my parents, when I was growing up, taught me that if anybody was older than me, I had to refer to them by sir and ma'am, right? So yes sir, yes ma'am, no sir, no ma'am. So I still, that's a hard habit to break, you know, when you've got up, so I'll say yes sir to people and people are always like, don't say sir to me, I'm not old. And it's like, sorry, it just comes out of my mouth. This is in essence what she is doing here, right? She's using a term of respect for someone that she knows has special power. There's something different about him. So by using the term Lord, she's not saying I'm submitting to him as Lord of my life. She's just being respectful with sir. But the next statement that she makes about Jesus is very interesting. She's a Gentile. And yet she says, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Now, why would she call him son of David? Well, remember the theme of the book of Matthew? The theme is Jesus is king. Remember Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1? How did we start out the book of Matthew? We started out the book of the genealogies of Jesus Christ, the son of David, right? So the whole book is focused on Jesus being the king. And so there's something about this woman that knows that Jesus is different. That she's been around enough Jewish people to know that there's supposed to be this Messiah who's coming. And so she's recognizing Jesus for who he is, the son of David. And so she says, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. You are the one that your people prophesied who would come. Then she says, my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. So she just simply tells Jesus, here's the problem. My daughter is oppressed by a demon. Look at how Jesus responds in verse 23. But he did not answer her word. It would seem as if Jesus blows her off, like ignores her, like he didn't answer her word. Here she is. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is oppressed. And Jesus keeps on walking, doesn't stop. Verse 23 goes on and says, And the disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. So the disciples are like, she's annoying, right? And they're like, can can you just heal her daughter so that we can move on? Like, I'm tired of her... Being around us, crying out for help. Just do what she's asking is what they're saying so that we can move on. What I love about this woman's faith is that it's a persistent faith. That when she saw Jesus not responding to her, she didn't say, well, he didn't respond to me. He must not love me. No, she keeps coming to Jesus and the disciples to the place that the disciples are like, come on, just take care of her so that we can move on with what we're doing here so Jesus responds to his disciples when they say healer and so she can move on in verse 24 he answered his disciples I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel didn't Jesus come for all people Don't we preach that like Jesus came for all people? And yet Jesus in this moment with the Canaanite woman who's begging for her daughter to be healed says, I've come, I've been sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. What is Jesus doing here? What Jesus is doing is he is being true to his word. Whenever you see Jesus make statements in Scripture that sometimes seem like that, that doesn't seem right, it's probably Jesus being true to his word. Because if you go back to Revelation chapter 12, Jesus made a promise to Abraham. And he made this promise to Abraham, which is to Israel, to the Jewish people, that he is going to make them a great nation. Look at Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So he makes a promise to Abraham that he's gonna bless him and make his name great and all those who come from him. Verse three, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. So God has made a promise to Abraham and he has to keep that promise. So when he says, I'm only sent to the house of Israel, what he's saying is I've got to keep my promise first to the Jewish people and then it's going to come to the Gentile people. Because if you read the rest of verse 3, and in you, through you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is why Paul in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And listen, Paul says this, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So he is understanding that the promise was first to the children of Israel. And then we are grafted into the promise as well through the person of Jesus Christ. So he is being true to his word when he says that I have been sent to the house of Israel. Verse 25, but the woman, this Canaanite woman, came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. Her faith goes from being this desperate faith or being this persistent faith to being a desperate faith. She comes and falls on her knees before the Lord and simply says, Lord, help me. love her desperation. Yes, she's persistent. She keeps coming. But even in the face of the Lord saying, I've come only to the house of Israel, she still knows that he has the power to heal her. And he falls down before her. She falls down before him and says, Lord, help me. Have you ever been that desperate in your life? Where you didn't add any flowery words to it, Like, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, right? Where you got to the place in your life that you just fell on your knees before the Lord and said, Lord, help me. I love genuine prayers like that. One of the things that drives me crazy about church culture and church world is these flowery prayers that use big words and words that half the people don't even understand because it's just like we're trying to impress our father rather than coming with desperate hearts that say, Lord, help me. I don't have any better words to say than that because I'm so desperate is I just want you to help me. And I want you to know today that God is drawn to desperation. He's not drawn to your fancy words. He's not drawn to your big churchy words. He is drawn to a heart that is desperate for the Lord. And even when it feels like the Lord is being quiet, that you continue to come and you fall on your knees to him and say, Lord, help me. She's desperate for the Lord. So the Lord answers her. Verse 26, he says, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, what does that mean? Well, again, we got to understand who are the children at the table. The children at the table are the Jewish people that he has made this promise to, that he's going to bless them. And through them, he'll bless all the nation. And so they are the ones at the table. And Jesus says, it's not right for me to take bread that's for my children and hand it to the dogs. Now, dogs was a term that they used for the Gentiles of that day. Okay? So Jesus would have immediately been canceled in our culture because he used the terms dogs. But this is that's how they refer to them. Jewish people would refer to Gentiles as dogs. Now, what's interesting about this term in your text today is that Jesus doesn't use the normal dog term that they would use, which was a dog that was uh, a free-running dog that hung out in the trash heaps, right? That kind of a wild dog. When Jesus uses the term dog here, it is the idea of a smaller dog that stays in your house. So here's what's funny is... People have used that to say, well, Jesus wasn't trying to be as harsh, right? He was being nicer by the term, a small dog at home, rather than a dog that runs through the neighborhood and eats the trash and is a mangy dog, right? I love what one commentator said. He said, only pet-loving Western culture would suggest that this reduces the offense. A little dog is no less unclean than a big one. So the offense is still there. And that Jesus is saying, the bread is for those who are at the table. Bread is not for the dogs, right? So look at how the lady responds to what would seem like a a knock against her. She said, yes, Lord. What, What is she saying? You're right. I'm not a child at the table you're right, I'm not a Jewish descendant. I don't have that right to be at the table. She agrees with the Lord and says, yes, Lord, but look at what else she says. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master table. What faith. That she would say to the Lord, listen, I understand, I don't get a seat at the table because I'm I'm not of Jewish descent. But I guarantee you, at the master's house, those little dogs that run around get crumbs from the master table. Can I get a witness if you've got a little dog in your house, right? I grew up, no animals in our house. We had a dog, it peed everywhere, pooped everywhere. So that didn't go over with my parents. So we got rid, I had no pets. We'd try fish, goldfish, dead. So we just didn't do it. You know, it didn't, didn't work for our family. But I married into a family with Ruth that loves little dogs, right? And so when your wife loves dogs, what's gonna happen in your marriage, right? You're gonna get a dog, right? Even though I'm not a big dog kind of guy. So when our kids got a little bit older, we got a dog. And of course, Ruth's gonna take care of it. The kids are gonna take care of it. Who takes care of the dog? You're looking at the guy that takes care of the dog. You know what I'm saying? A little, sorry, that was a little frustration coming up. But here's the reality of having a dog is what I found with our dog is he cleaned the crumbs from under the table. Like you go in the kitchen, our kitchen floor is always clean. And here's how I started noticing this. We would go to my mom's house and my mom's super clean. So don't hear if my mom, she watches my sermon. So mom, I love you. Our house is super clean. But when the grand great grandkids come over, you know how this happens. There's crumbs everywhere. So it's funny, after we eat together as a family, I always notice the floor is full of crumbs. It's like, well, that's sort of gross. And then I see my mom get out of broom and she's got to sweep up the floor. It's like, we never have to sweep the floor because the dogs always eat the crumbs from the table, right? Here's what this lady is saying to Jesus. She's saying, Jesus, you are the Messiah of Israel. You are the son of David. And it must, the bread must first go to your own people. But that does not mean that the mission stops with you at the table. But that we can get crumbs from the master's table. This is her having a believing faith. That she believes that, yeah, I am a Gentile. I'm not at the table, but at least I could get crumbs from the master's table. You could show me mercy and you can show me grace. She has a believing faith. And look at how Jesus responds to her faith in verse 28. Then Jesus answered her, A woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Jesus looks at this woman who has persistent and desperate and believing faith. And she, he says to her, your daughter has been healed. Great is your." In verses 29 through verse 31, we find Jesus moving to this Decapolis area that I showed you on the map. And Jesus goes through and you can read through that. He heals the lame and the blind and the crippled and the mute. But I want you to notice what's interesting is the end of verse 31 that it says, And they glorified God the God of Israel. This is another clue to us in the text that this is an area that is outside of the Jewish people, the Israelite people. Because if you go back to Matthew chapter 14, when Jesus is healing those in the Gennesaret area, it says they, he was surrounded, uh, or, or they sent around to all that that region and brought to him all who were sick and he implored what they might that they might only touch the fringe of his garment and as many as touched him were made well so this is in a Jewish area now he's in a Gentile area and he's doing the same thing he's healing people and it says that as they're noticing Jesus healing them they're glorifying they're making much of the God of Israel So the Gentiles are seeing the Messiah for who he is. That he is the one that the Jewish people have been waiting for. And the same miracles that Jesus did in the Jewish regions, he's doing in the Gentile region. Why? Because he's not just the God of the Jewish people, but he's the God of the Gentiles as well. That the message is not just for the Israelites, the message is for the Gentiles as as well. So he goes on then in verse 32, and he starts the story of the feeding of the 5,000, or the 4,000. Now, the question becomes, why would Jesus, or why would Matthew record for us another feeding? We've already experienced this, right? If you go back, we've already experienced this in Matthew chapter 14, that Jesus fed 5,000. So we know what's going to happen, right? We don't even got to read the story to know what Jesus is going to do. So again, why is Matthew repeating? Some would say, skeptics would say, this is a made up feeding. This is just Matthew making up another story. So to try to prove who Jesus is. But in reality, we're in two different contexts. That's why he's sharing the feeding twice. Feeding of the 5,000, Galilee area, springtime. Feeding of the 4,000, summertime. And it's amongst the Gentile People. So look at what he does here. Verse 32, then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd. What I find interesting is that when Jesus has compassion, it always leads to action. Right? So he looks at this crowd, mainly Gentiles, and he knows that they are harassed. Right? He knows that they need help and he has a heart for them. And so his compassion leads to action and he says, I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me now three days. Feeding the 5,000 was one day. This, he's, they've been with Jesus now three days. So all the snacks have run out. They have nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on you. Verse 33, and the disciples said to him, where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? Are you thinking what I'm thinking? <laughs> Like, come on, guys. Like two chapters earlier, man, we did 5,000, five loaves, two fish, right? Now we're at this same sort of situation again. And you're saying, I don't know where that's going to come from. Well, obviously, you know, right? Like, come on. So Jesus says to them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven and a few small fish. Directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish. And having given thanks, he broke them. And and I love this. He gives it to the disciples and the disciples give it to the crowd. He did the same thing in the feeding of the 5,000. He doesn't deliver the bread and the fish, but he gives it to his disciples who then go deliver it to the people. Verse 37. And just like the feeding of the 5,000, they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of broken pieces left over. Now, what's the difference between the feeding of the 5,000 in Matthew 14 and Matthew 15 here, the feeding of the 4,000? Remember, with the 5,000, how many baskets were left? 12, right? We come to the feeding of the 4,000, how many baskets are left? Seven, right? We know that there could be, and this is just commentators sort of Digging into scripture a little bit more, we could say the 12 baskets are the 12 tribes of Israel. Could be the 12 disciples, but more than likely it is Jesus saying, by the feeding of the 5,000, the the children of Israel, the Jewish people are invited to the table. There's a basket for each one of them, right? They're invited to the table. Then when you come to this feeding of the 4,000 and there's seven baskets left, the, seven, the number seven in, Bi- in the Bible is a number of completion. So think of Jesus creating the world in seven days. Seven was the completion. It was done. It was, it was perfect. So these seven baskets could be showing the completion of God's plan to take the good news to all people. That as the 12, that's the, the Jewish people, right? That God is, Jesus is available to them, the, the to the Jew first. And these seven baskets are saying the completion of the plan to take the good news of Jesus to all people with the seven baskets. Then verse 38 and 39, those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. And after sending away the crowds... He got in the boat, and he went to the region of Magadan. So what is the point of this section of Scripture? The point is simply this. The good news of Jesus is for all people. The good news of Jesus is for all people. It, he's been going to a Jewish region. They're rejecting him. The Pharisees and the scribes, they're not coming to Jesus and, and wanting him, right? They, they're not coming to him by faith. They're saying, your disciples are eating with unclean hands. They're coming to the table with unclean hands. They're not seeing Jesus for who he is. Whereas you go to this Gentile air regions, Tyre and Sidon and the Decapolis, and, and they are seeing Jesus by faith. The good news of Jesus is for all people, for the Jew and the Gentile. It reminds us of Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19. One of the key verses. What does it say? Go make disciples of all nations. This is Matthew illustrating for us the good news of Jesus is available for all nations people. The kingdom of heaven is expanding, not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles as well. We have all been invited to the party. We have all been invited to the feast. There is a chair waiting for you at the table, whether you're a Jew or you're a Gentile, whether you're an Israeli or you're a Palestinian whether you're a Ukrainian or you're a Russian, whether you're a Chinese or you're an American, whether you're a Democrat or you're a Republican, whether you're a Christian school kid or you're a public school kid, whether you've grown up in church your whole life or you've never darkened the door of the church till today, the good news of Jesus is for all people. You have never locked an eye with someone that the good news of Jesus is not. And Matthew is wanting his audience to see that the good news of Jesus is for all people. The Canaanite woman and the Gentile region of the feeding of the 4,000. There's a couple of points underneath the good news of Jesus is for all people that I want to remind you of. This good news is to be received by faith. What did Jesus compliment the woman on? Her faith. He said, O woman, great is your faith. This good news is to be received by faith. Faith is a trust in who Jesus is and what he has done. Paul puts it this way in Galatians chapter 3, in verse 26, he would say, For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. It's a trust in Jesus. And so my question for you is, have you put your faith and trust in Jesus alone for your salvation? Salvation is by faith alone. Works don't come into that. It's by faith alone. Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If you have, then verse 29 says, and if you are Christ, if you have put your faith and trust, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. He takes us all the way back to Genesis chapter 12 and says, you're a part of the promise that I made to Abraham. And we see come to light in the Canaanite woman and the feeding of the 4,000. You're invited to the table. That was a promise for you as Well, have you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? If not, I would invite you right where you're sitting to trust in Jesus, to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is who he said he is. He did what he said he did, and he will do what he said he will do. And the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And today can be the day that you understand this Canaanite woman's faith. That you can understand what it means that we are invited to the table. You've been invited to the table. The other thing that I would want to note from the text is that this good news is delivered by you. One other thing I found interesting about the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000 is that Jesus didn't deliver the bread. He had his disciples deliver the bread. Jesus did the miracle. His disciples just got the opportunity to deliver the miracle that had happened. And you and I, if we're followers of Jesus Christ, we get the privilege to deliver the good news that everyone is invited to the table. The good news of Jesus that You and I have all been invited to the banquet of the land. Here's what Romans 10 says. It says this in verse 14. How then will they call on him of whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Paul says, how are people going to know unless the message is delivered. And you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, get the opportunity to deliver the good news that the gospel is for all people. As we think about this idea of a banquet and food, and we look forward to the day in Revelation chapter 19, we'll, we'll sit down with our king we must remember that the good news of Jesus is for all people and that it is received by faith and that we get the privilege of delivering the good news to all that we come in contact with. So here's what I would say to close our time together. First, I would say, there is a seat at the table for you. There's a seat at the table. One of the most beautiful pictures of heaven. And it's been a test to several people. So I'm not going to say who said this. But they gave us a picture of heaven that said this. On this side of heaven as we're walking into heaven. It says, for whosoever will may come. Right? And then when you walk through heaven and you're on the other side and you look back. It'll say Ephesians 1. That you were chosen before the foundations of the world. And here's the thing. There's not only a seat for you at the table, but I would say it gets even better. Better. Your name is engraved on the seat. And I would invite you to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and come to the table with us. Join in. The thousands of years of people waiting for that messianic banquet that will happen where Jesus is the king. And he, we will sit down with him in Revelation chapter 19 and we will enjoy a meal with him because he has taken care of everything. You're invited. There's a seat at the table for you and there's a seat at the table with your name on it. If you will put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. And for those of us that are at the table, we've taken the seat, or we're eating hors d'oeuvres right now, waiting for the main course. Can I remind you that your neighbor has a seat at the table? Your coworker has a seat at the table. Your classmates have a seat at the table your employee has a seat at the table your employer has a seat at the table your family has a seat at the table but the only way they'll know that they have a seat at the table is if you give them the invitation if you pass out the bread and the fish if you say hey you've been invited to the same party I've been invited to and you don't want to miss this party. May we be faithful to invite all those that by faith in Jesus Christ will be at the table because the good news is for all people. Father, thank you for your word and that the geography of where Matthew 15 happened could open our eyes to the good news of the gospel being for all people. I'm thankful for the faith of a Canaanite woman who wasn't offended by what you said to her, but pushed in and said, you're right, Lord, we don't belong at the table, but at least we can get some crumbs. And because of her faith in you, her daughter was healed, which was pointing us to a greater faith, which was faith in you alone for salvation. That you have went to the cross on our behalf for our sins. That's what we read about in Isaiah chapter 53 as we took the Lord. It was our transgressions. It was our sins. And you died in our place. And you were buried. And you rose again three days later so that we could be invited to the table if we'd put faith, our faith and trust in you. And so I pray that if there's anyone in this room that maybe. Say, I don't feel like I belong at the table. Lord, they're right. We don't belong at the table, but because of grace, we can be. And so by faith in you, may they come to the table today. And for those of us that are at the table or getting ready for that day, help us to be good stewards of the great responsibility that you've given us to hand out invitations to the party. Help us to be faithful, to share with our neighbors, with our family. With our coworkers, that there is a seat at the table for them, for all who will put their faith and trust in you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you for listening. You're always welcome at Antioch. If you desire more information, please go to AntiochBBC.org. That's AntiochBBC.org. God's best to you.